JM and the AM. By the way, weekly update note uh, before we officially kick things off for this week with Malcolm. Uh, next week, Labor Day weekend, there will not be a weekly update presented here at JM and the AM. Uh, it will reconvene, please God, two weeks from today right here on a Friday morning broadcast. So keep that in mind. That'll be our first Friday uh, after uh, Labor Day, first Friday, so to speak, of the new season. And uh, we'll talk more about that, obviously, as we get closer. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. We continue to enthusiastically recommend to their amazing readership our incredible live stream at jmnam.org. That's much appreciated. I want to thank our friends at OnlySimplest.com. Continue to use our amazing content for some of the stories that they post throughout the uh, uh, the web on their site, I should say. Um, uh, many of them really very cool human interest stories, especially of interest to the Jewish world. So we thank our friends at OnlySimplest.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. It's good to be with you, as always. I appreciate that. The United Nations and the EU, according to the Jerusalem Post, have actively helped the Palestinian Authority build its global advocacy campaign against the Jewish state including its filing of, quote, war crimes, complaints about Israel before the International Criminal Court. Over the last year, the U.N. and the E.U. were participants in the creation of a $2.1 million empowerment plan for Palestinian women. There's a lot more details. People could see it at the Jerusalem Post. Now, Malcolm, you've alluded to this, and we've discussed it to an extent over the years, uh, but uh, it, it seems like there's more, I don't know, proof, more concrete evidence coming out about what the UN and the EU is doing to Israel? I think there is a, there is the, the pattern of discrimination and you know we've circulated the petition, a petition to demand an end to the bias and the racism against Israel in the United Nations which has become almost institutionalized and it certainly in the Human Rights Council is where they have a separate item for Israel in the security in the general assembly we have 20 resolutions a year automatically and virtually every other agency is is impacted and we saw again this week a, a remarkable demonstration of this when a letter was sent by the united nations to israel protesting the arrest of an employee of the united nations development corporation uh, program for uh, diverting funds but many millions for from funds that were supposed to go to construction and development for the people in Gaza, instead he diverted it to the to the Hamas terrorist entity uh, in various forms, including building a marina from which they were able to do uh, training for uh, underground terrorism, and they have a a uh, sort of a seal unit in Hamas. Yeah, even so, more so, they called it the uh, military wing of Hamas. Yeah, right, but. In the letter they wrote, they talked about this man coming from not Beersheba, where he lives, but an old Arab name that uh, that they used, Asabiyabi, and no reference to Beersheba. Now, we know the campaign in Jerusalem, which is continuing. We know that they're going to start again in the meeting the General Assembly to pick up on the session of the of UNESCO, which was postponed in, in midstream because of the uh, coup in Turkey. The meeting was taking place in Ankara, so they couldn't finish their work. But there, they, they were dealing with Jerusalem and the old city walls, and meaning that beyond just naming the Kotel, 
Harabayit, Kevarachel, Maratamachpelo, all of the, the holiest Jewish sites, by their only, by their Arab names, in UN documents, adopted as a resolution, uh, an insult to Judaism and to Christianity and to everybody who believes in that tradition. Now we have it here in a UN document where now Beersheba they tried to, to claim as, a, as an Arab city. Huh. And it's, it is a pattern and that we have discerned and we've tried to talk about it for a long time, as you know, on the show, uh, trying to warn people and to, to sound the alarm. And then people, of course, say, you know, it's depressing, it's a negative, why, uh, you know, the alarm. It is a campaign because this is delegitimizing Israel. This is what BDS is really about. It isn't the BDS. BDS is a tool of the campaign to deny the legitimacy and the right of Israel to exist. And and we see it manifest in many ways, including this ICC case, which has absolutely no legitimacy. And rather than deal with their internal problems, you know, the, the in the West Bank there's uh, rioting and demonstrations. You don't see many reports about it, but it's going on constantly, but not against Israel. It's against the Palestinian Authority. And some of this has to do with the possible run-up to the elections, which is the municipal elections, which are scheduled for uh, October, which will, I do not believe will take place. And we've said this before, but you see, again, they're setting it up in a, in a fight with Fatah because they're afraid they'll lose to Fatah, but they'll set up some sort of a situation which will force them to, to uh, reschedule, postpone the election, which is already seven years overdue. And the, the, um, the conflicts that we see within and the fight between Fatah and Hamas trying to position themselves. And what do they deal with? Only with the, the fight against Israel yeah, trying to, to exacerbate uh, the situation. They have no interest in the, in the needs of their people, and this has been blatantly shown by the diversion of the money from World Vision and many other NGOs that this money went to build tunnels and to build infrastructure for, for Fatah's terrorist operation, and not the people. It's funny. Just as an aside, it's 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 evident that the PA, or at least the PA infrastructure, is still really controlled by that uh, Fatah uh, component. Um, without their uh, desire to move ahead with elections, it's never going to happen, no matter what Hamas, no matter what their role is, right? I mean, that would be... Right, and they're looking, and, and we know that in some of the big cities, the polls indicate that they will lose. Right. And and it's not unified. People don't have any faith in, in Abbas. They know that it, you know he's old. He doesn't want to negotiate. We see again this week, and how the world falls into the trap where the Palestinians are are in a campaign about the shortage of water. Israel, under the Oslo Accord, was required to give thirty million um, uh, cubic meters of water, and and they actually give them sixty five million cubic meters of water a year, and they waste it. They don't do. Um, any kind of reclamation of water, they don't do any kind uh, of uh, clean up afterwards. So all of it is wasted, and the the pipes and everything. And they refuse to sit and talk to Israel about it. And yet the world will accept the the, the charge that Israel is is denying them water, and that they're having all of these problems. The PA has done nothing to help effectuate a more efficient and and. Uh, a better use of water and a more effective use so that everybody would have enough. Go, go back to the U.N. thing for a second, because I'm sure there are people uh, listening to this 
uh, who you know who, who who follow the news and and know the trend that the UN and the EU, as we continue to learn, is on when it comes to Israel. Is this reversible? Is this is it such an overwhelming? effort on their part and they have the numbers and they have the money and they have the international support that it, no matter how much work we do and no matter how much we raise our voices it, it's it's essentially irreversible at this point is that is that true i believe that everything is reversible when you make the effort and, and getting the western nations to take this more seriously as well as many other things more seriously and understand uh, the real dynamics of what's happening, both in regard to this and in regard to, to the region overall, that the the um, and those who want to sign and, and help circulate this petition, they go to the conferenceofpresidents.org website. They can get it there, and and there we document in the this uh, petition. Uh, we attach documentation about all, all the different uh, aspects, but it, it goes back to the basic. Uh, lack of, of will and, and, and intention on yeah. the part of the powers to be and how quickly they're willing to fall into the into the trap that Gaza can fire rockets that, thank God, fell between homes. But when Israel responds, all of a sudden everybody wakes up and decides that they have to, to be uh, critical and to, to come down o- on Israel. So, yes, it is uh, pretty overwhelming when we see the you know, all of this stuff. We saw the Mufti of Jerusalem again, saying all of Jerusalem belongs to, to them and, and no acknowledgement whatsoever of of the Jewish rights. And that's why I keep telling people why this is so significant. Yeah. This is an attempt to cut us off from any connection by denying our relationship. And and changing names may not seem important to people, but believe me, it's very critical. And it doesn't seem that sending aid to... Uh uh, to Italy's earthquake victims or to flood victims in Louisiana from Israel doesn't seem that that makes an international impression the way it should. And how about the fact that young Israeli soldiers are going into Syria regularly to take out wounded children? What does regularly mean? Every day? I don't want to say, but very often, very often, and they have to volunteer for this because it's obviously very dangerous duty, and they go in during the night and rescue uh, children together with a mother or, Inger, or an adult inj- injured who, children who come then to Israeli hospitals at no cost to them, but big cost to the hospitals. Some are admitted and have to be treated for extensive period because they've lost a limb, they have an eye that's uh, damaged, or many other things. These are serious, and they also have free Syrian army uh, soldiers who are badly wounded who are taken to Israel to be treated. It, it is a remarkable story, and you're talking about thousands yes thousands and during the course of this war where's the recognition where's the appreciation people risking their lives to save people who could be their potential enemy who go back and could turn against them and yet israel in this amazing uh, story the real story of israel treating the people from gaza treating uh, abbas's family and and um, munia's family and others it's it's more than frustrating. It's uh, it's astounding. I can't believe <laughs> it, it's it's amazing to hear that this is what's going on on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, and in the unrest in the Palestinian area, where they, they they arrested a suspect and they killed him in police custody. I mean, he was beaten to death. They admitted he was beaten to death, and 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 it, you know, of course, there have been some demonstrations, but they know how to control the demonstrations when they want to. When it's it's something that's not against Israel. But 
it's it shows the frustration and the lack of support uh, uh, of Abbas, uh, and for the PA has very little authority today. I would say in much of the of the region. Yet we we prop him up, and I understand why. But the um, that includes the, PA police and security forces. Mm-hmm. Must be very frustrating for Israel as they try to secure areas. Actually, the cooperation between Israel and, some, and the PA security has not been bad, the, the, because it's in their interest. I mean, right. Israel plays a critical role in, uh, in helping them to be effective. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the uh, NSN app. What was the purpose of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's call to uh, um, Russian President Putin this week? Uh, well, he's, they've been talking and coordinating um, periodically. The I think this uh, was a follow-up to the visits of Sisi, Rouhani, Erdogan, uh, other leaders um, to to uh, Russia. Russia is playing a critical role, as you know. Uh, Russian bombers this week operating out of Tehran, out of Iranian-based uh, Hamadan Air Force Base, and, and I just want people to understand that all the stories you see, don't believe any of it. You know, they said that they were in, then they said they were out, and they said the uh, the Iranians complained that they were showing off too much. Don't believe which part. I'm just going to come to it. All of it, except what I say. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, because it's a confusing story, but it, it's amazing how it's being manipulated and the reasons for it. There is in the Constitution of Iran, Article, I think, 136, where, where you're not allowed to have foreign presence on their military bases. But there is a particular animosity to Russia that dates back to the Second World War when Russia invaded Iran together with uh, well, Britain at the same time, simultaneous with Britain, one went north, one went south, uh, and then at the end of the war, it, Britain withdrew, and Russia didn't withdraw. And in fact, the first resolution of condemnation by the new Security Council, the new United Nations, in 1946, recent, just formed recently, was against Russia for failing to pull out of Iran. So there's a, a lot of animosity, and there's historic animosities with them. And yet here they have, of course, common interests. They're operating together in, in Syria. They both want to keep Assad in power now. But the, the, the base, which is a critical Air Force base, Russia has been working for a year building the infrastructure there. So there was no way they were going to pull out. The Iranians, because there had been too much publicity, they felt, and because the resentment against Russia. So they said, well, they're only there temporarily. They pulled out. Then Larjani, the Speaker of the, the Majlis, the Parliament, said the day later, they're not pulling out. They're still there. And of course, they're there. They're operating out of there. They're going to be there. And they look at the situation in Iran, which is very tenuous. The economic conditions in much of the country are very bad. And the, the uh, you know, Tehran looks good because they got the influx of the money and a third of the economies in the hands of the IRGC and the Supreme Leader. So, you know, the first money's come to them, and I guess the people who work for them are, are largely Tehran-based. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the true situation is different, and Russia is positioning itself for, for whatever might occur there, and also you have an o- election coming up. But the reverse, and when we talk about the message that are sent, that the 
the IRGC has its own navy. It, it is a parallel military to the Iranian navy and army, etc. But they they and they are given the responsibility to patrol the border waters uh, in the Persian Gulf, for instance. And it was Iranian Revolutionary Guard sh- uh, boats that played havoc with the USS Nitzi, which is part of the USS uh, Dwight Eisenhower uh, group, the career, uh, carrier strike group, the Eisenhower's uh, aircraft carrier. So it wasn't, and, a, it wasn't officially from Tehran. Uh, so, good point. Now, now I'm, that, I'm beginning to understand the story better. Right. Because so the Nitzi was operating with a, a guided missile destroyer called the Mason, and they were coming out of the Persian Gulf, and the Nitzi was approached by these Iranian patrol vessels with no warning, and they came within a couple hundred yards. There was a warning, the shot fired, they did, didn't affect them in any way. Um, and the, uh, the, the U.S., um, the carrier strike group is in the region because they're conducting strikes against ISIS in Iraq and Syria uh, from, from there. And then there was another uh, ship in, in the strike group that was harassed in the eastern Mediterranean, but then by a Russian frigate. But there were multiple cases of uh, during this week within a 24-hour period of Iranian Revolutionary Guard um, vessels uh, challenging uh, the U.S. Um, uh, ships on patrol and, and moving in the region. If you remember, it was these same guys who captured the Royal Navy personnel, who captured the American... Um, so where do their orders come from? Are they completely independent? Tehran has no influence on them or what? No, it, it, they, uh, they answered directly to the Supreme Leader and to the to leaders, the generals of, of the RGC, but that is directly controlled by him not by the government and, and that's what the pre- military and that's what prevents the US from parallel. that's what prevents the US from publicly condemning Iran for these things no i don't understand why we we don't un- uh, explode when a, when they come within 300 yards of a destroyer and they they i mean they could be late what if they were you know full of uh, right. bombs what if it was a of course <laughs> of course and um uh, and you know that they're they're expanding everywhere. But there's just so many issues in this regard. Iran Revolutionary Guard camps, uh, six of them, been discovered near Kirkuk in 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 northern Iraq, where they have about 1,500 officers and commanders from the Al Quds Force of the Iran Revolutionary Guard, and um, and again it is, they they report directly to the supreme leader. But this is part of their of their takeover. In, uh, in of Iraq, something they publicize and talk about very openly about the dominant position, and something that they're not going to be willing to, to yield. So, if Tehran is resentful, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, about Russia's supposed influence in the region, right? And that's that's likely an accurate statement, right? Is, is there more of a relationship or more uh, of a uh, camaraderie between the IRGC and Russia? It, no, it's not directly RGC. It is on the political level, uh, higher uh, level, and Rouhani's visit to to Moscow uh, because Moscow is trying to interpose itself. So, so they all the absence of the West, and they take advantage of it. But they all they hate it. Er, er, the purpose. But all the yeah. Iran, everybody in Iran hates it. Then none of them want Russia involved there. The, the, they resent Russia, but if it serves their purpose, they're very pragmatic. And they will accept it, but not in the public way, in the highly publicized way. They're saying right. you can't, you know, put us in the position where we have to explain to people why we're letting you fly from our air force bases. Uh, a because it's not the law is supposed to prohibit.
prohibit it, but more importantly because you know of the attitude towards uh, towards Russia. Okay, so then but, back to, so back to my question. Then Putin reassures Netanyahu about what? So I, I don't know what was specifically in the conversation, but I think it had to do with uh, the question of of Iran's role, the expansion of Iran's role in Syria. What controls? Uh, there was a meeting today between Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, and Kerry, where they're going to take up the idea of some sort of a peace agreement or some sort of a arrangement. Uh, it's very hard to believe that it will actually be enforced, but that's what they're talking about. The losses, you know, that people are sustaining are increasing, and the amount of money that that it takes to to keep this up uh, grows, and the devastation inside Syria is is mind-boggling. Uh, so the, I, I think that, the, and, and one of the issues obviously is coordination because there was an errant fire across the border of Israel. Israel struck back against the, the Syrian uh, forces uh, from where, where the errant fire came. But Israel can't allow these things to go unanswered, just like they can't right. let a Hamas attack go unanswered. And then, of course, you know, everybody screams about proportionality. But right. They can't allow it to go unanswered. Um, and by the way, it, well, the strange machinations are not just limited to that. You have the uh, foreign minister of uh, Zarif this week went to Turkey to meet with the foreign minister there. Then he went on a six-country Latin American tour and, and is expanding Iranian operations. And, of course, his first stop was Cuba. Oh, wow. After our opening relations, we see that they are still uh, the closest with uh, with Iran. Not even Venezuela, huh? And then he went to Venezuela, <laughs> right? And Bolivia, Ecuador, and Nicaragua, the likely candidates. The only one that was different this time was he went to Chile. And uh, Chile was traditionally, a, did not want to have an association with them. This is this does represent a uh, uh, somewhat of a change. But there yeah. are all sorts of shifting alliances yeah. that are... Um, that are going on. The, the head of the French National Assembly goes to Iran. The Russian deputy foreign minister, Iranian deputy foreign minister, met on Monday. There are a lot of, of things that are happening, but you notice the absence of the West from all of them. Oh, that's for sure. But, but what concerns me as I, as I hear all this is that uh, Israel's got to be really careful because... <laughs> It's possible for somebody like Putin, uh, Russia, to go ahead and try to utilize Israel's fear of Iran, or, or you know, um, um, you know, uh, th- their hesitancy uh, toward dealing with the Iranians to their advantage. I mean, you know, Ru- Russia could somehow convince or connive Israel to become their ally against the Iranians pretty easily. But Israel is an ally against Iran. I understand. With anybody who is but really do they want to be aligned in, with Russia? <laughs> now you can't tell because it, it, there, there are no clear lines. It's like well, the do they, but the bottom the Middle li- East, they've all disappeared. But the bottom line is, do you agree or not, that Israel likely does not want to align with Russia in an official um, um, uh, action against Iran? They don't want There's to be not going to be any action against Iran by, by Russia. Russia's interests are in, in selling them aircraft in in making as much money as they can. Then why does it seem the like they're always threatening them militarily? They're not threatening Iran militarily. The U.S. should be threatening a military. Israel does, but it's not with Russia. Israel, and and, it, and they are concerned because it's as the RGC leaders, and the only country he's afraid of is Israel because he believes they actually will, will, could do it. The, the, but the, it's not going to be an alliance with, with Russia. Russia, right now, its economy is in really 
bad shape. Without oil, its economy is the size, I think, of Holland. And with oil, I think it's Italy. Yet he is able to maneuver and manipulate, not just there, but in a growing sphere, and to create the footprint of, of uh, Russia. When you see the Putin in, with Aliyev and Rouhani in Baku, where, as you know, the, all of the former Soviet Union states, the Baltic, Central Asia, fear that Russia wants to reassert at least the umbrella over the region, but certainly to play a more and more critical role. Right. And again, it's because alienation from the West and the uh, uh, absence of the West that, that opens the door for all of this. And now you see even Iran, you know, I will tell you something, that they are planning a railroad to go from Russia through Azerbaijan, Turkey, into, into Iran to go to the Persian Gulf. Now, since the Tsar's days, this was their goal was to get a war mortar port. And here we have the plans, and they talked about a north-south corridor, and I spoke to some Iranian dissidents, and they said to me, well, we'll tell you exactly what it is. And they showed me on a, a rough outline of a map and showed me how this, this railroad will go, which means that Russia will be able to send stuff down to the Persian Gulf, weapons, everything. They will It will, it will open the borders between these countries. And remember, there are 30 million Azeris in Iran. There are two Two, two provinces that are Azeri in in Iran itself. I know it's all complicated. I'm sure people well, I'm are blazing over. I'm wondering but, if the West would be more involved and more active in this whole process if they would be, you know, physically. It would be different. Well, yeah. would they physically go and try to protect the region? Would they physically go and try to protect? Absolutely. And we do have, we have bases in, in, in some of these places. I mean, we have bases in, in Bahrain. We have a fifth fleet is based there. We have in, in, um, in Baku, the, the, uh, we ha- in, in Azerbaijan, rather, we have vital interest in these places. We, uh, we, we put missiles into, into some of these backyards, which is part of what ticked off uh, the Russians a few years ago. So we have, it's really vital, but, but we, we have a disappearing footprint, and the, the Putin is just stepping in. And again, he's doing it with limited resources. He doesn't have that much to offer them, certainly not financially. He can sell them weapons. He can upgrade their defense systems and other things. Yeah. But I, he's making money on it. I know you don't like talking about the presidential election for obvious reasons. But it, 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 these issues are nowhere. These issues are nowhere. They're, they're not in the press. Uh, they're not even being brought up as issues that are not being brought up. You know, right. it, it's they're, they're, they're nowhere on the scene. And the, and the problem or the question is, you know, okay, we get to November. But what's going to happen after that? Are we going to have a you know? A, are we going to have a president that's going to address these things? It's going to you know take these things seriously, because you know co- you talk about Congress, talk about the House and Senate, and now we understand the influence, we understand the importance of every one of those positions and the uh, consensus in Congress, you know, for Israel, uh, against the enemy, et cetera, et cetera. But without the White House support, it becomes an uphill battle. It, it, it's more than just an uphill battle, but if you remember the reason, obviously I think the presidential election is very important, but as I said for months, that when you see the news coverage, you see the attention that these critical issues are getting, which is minimal compared to the nature of some, uh, and the potential that these things could have for the future, that people are so obsessed with what he said, she said, accusations against one or, one or the other, and before that, between all of them, you know, the whole array of candidates, uh, that we're running, and and on the vital issues are being ignored, and they're being ignored by political leaders and others as well. But 
what we're, we're going to face decisions coming up in September, in October. We could have a resolution at the United Nations. Uh, the Palestinians, we believe, are working on one. Certainly after the election, I think we may see some maneuvering on uh, on Israel at the at the United Nations, and perhaps a resolution of the Security Council, perhaps something else. Um, and and we're working hard all this time to to try and counter it. We're meeting ambassadors. We're meeting, you know, uh, I met Secret- uh, UN Secretary General. We're meeting all the new candidates to be Secretary General this year. Cause this is really important stuff. This will have a long term impact, and people are not paying attention. And they're going to look back on January 20th and say, how did all of this happen? Yeah, and, exactly. and that's why I, why I won't talk about the presidential race, because, you know, everything is speculative anyway. But I want people to focus on the issues. Yeah. Nobody's fine. Like I say, they're not even writing articles about the stuff. That, you know, usually you'll find in an article, especially among the prominent well, newspapers, so to speak, about what's not being spoken about. Brett Stevens <laughs> has written about some of this in in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, others have in in, in uh, you know isolated cases. And yeah, few and far between. Tanks. There are many articles coming out that are are uh, uh, addressing uh, these issues. Yesterday, the the Ayatollah met with his the cabinet, and he laid out the the agenda. For that he wants for for Iran, and I haven't seen one article, except in the Iranian newspaper, uh, uh, detailing what he said, where he talks about their expansion into Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Right. Uh, how many times have we talked about that? <laughs> it? Sounds it seems like and, decades. Decades. And then, uh, but I'll tell you the funny part is that he said he has one of the items of the seven items is culture, but he, and he warns against dogmatic. Or, or suppressive uh, measures in cultural areas. And he said he believes strongly in liberalism. <laughs> but that does not mean slackness, he said, or that we give the, uh, um, an opportunity for the room for the enemy to do damage. And then he said social media is, uh, is, a, is progressive mm. and, uh, and, and said that the, it can bring great opportunities but also threats. It's a, here's a guy who crushed the social media yeah. people, arrest them for it, <laughs> and he's telling the world uh, that social media is important, and he's a liberal, and uh, etc. I would say you know, the not... Iranians are suing the, are going after the the Saudis still on that. Remember the crush at the at the Hajj during mm-hmm. the sure. annual <coughs> Hajj. The pilgrimage. So they've yeah. hired now international lawyers because they're not giving up. They're going to do everything they can to undermine Saudi Arabia's yeah. regime to attack them militarily, but also internationally. And uh, they want to see the international community take over the control over the Hajj. They said they can't handle it. 400 Iranians were amongst the more than 1,000 who were killed. But the, the they are unrelenting in, in what they do. On, they don't give up. On the other point, I would say they're not very liberal about their liberalism. Let's put it yeah, that way. Exactly. I mean, this is a farce. Um, but it, but <laughs> it declares what on foreign policy and domestic policy. But nobody even reads it. You've got to listen to what they say. Yeah, and believe them because they mean it. Um, a couple of things before we uh, take our two-week break. Um, Nigeria was considering blocking Israel's participation in the West African summit. So you know, we, I, I, we had uh, this impression, especially after the Entebbe anniversary, that Israel is, you know, is uh, worshipped uh, among the African nations. Is, uh, is Nigeria an exception? Is it? Uh, uh, well, first of all, you were right that that. Israel is much more accepted. I can tell you, I met again this week with an African leader who wants to find a way to come closer to Israel. It's a Muslim country, and they, they are 
you know, we're, we're trying to encourage them all to, to establish diplomatic relations, but at least to take the preliminary steps. And we see many are moving in that direction. Nigeria, the, when Goodluck Johnson was the president until recently, uh, he was very pro-Israel, visited Israel several times. His successor, he was a Christian, his successor is a Muslim who is more hostile, and uh, that that is why Nigeria has mm. been uh, taking this position. Uh, we'll see what, what, what happens. It's a 15-country coalition, and uh, Netanyahu was talking of coming to, to address them after his first visit in Africa uh, a month ago. And the Egyptian foreign minister, he's, uh, he continues to be criticized for his what seems to be positive statements about Israel. The, the guy can't get a break no matter what he says or does. Mean what he said and didn't say and didn't mean to say but said and, and did he retract it? In fact, did he retract he, it? No, he didn't retract. <laughs> he said he was misunderstood, but uh. he did say. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, that he said that essentially uh, what Israel's doing in Gaza is not terrorism. Right? Uh, they went crazy about it, and, uh, and I'm sure there was internal disruption, so they tried to cover it, but they did not retract it. And again, it's a sign of the relationship between Egypt and, and Israel. Yeah, which uh, but it has generally been good, and you always talk about the cooperation, at least there. Yeah. It seems to still exist. All right, I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We will reconvene in two weeks, please, God. God willing, we'll have, uh, hopefully we'll have o- only good news well, to be able to, re- to report. Why would we think otherwise? Because there is a lot of good news. <laughs> and look at all the new discoveries. People should follow it, talk to their kids about it, show them. Uh, finding uh, shuls that are, are uh, more than a thousand, almost two thousand years old. Uh, so many things that have been discovered. I mean, a, a shul that existed during the time of still of the Beis Hamikdash, and you know the tefillah, our prayer, a whole thing was totally different then because you had still had the korbanos. So people should should follow this and tell. Uh, I mean, the amazing good stories and what I said about Syria, when they really want to know the heart and soul of Israel. That's the true story. Oh, that's 100% true, and it's a big revelation to us that it's happening to the degree that you described. Just unbelievable. Going in and saving Syrian children and mothers to whatever degree Israel is. You're vague about that, but it sounds like it's an extremely impressive operation. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Hey, Homeline. Well, we will re- we'll reconvene in two weeks. Shabbat shalom.